much like our Willett Hall here. Imagine a blue tarp rolled out and taped down to protect the floors. The lighting is a bit dimmer than what we have here, and the air feels perhaps a bit stale. Community members haul large bins full of donated art supplies up from a basement storage room and set up six tables around the room. Three more up on the stage. Each week, without fail, unhoused artists and community members gather in this grace-filled space. Some carry with them their worldly possessions, the pain of addiction, the scars of rejection, and mental illness. Embedded in these burdens are remarkable talents, creativity, and kindness. Art is happening everywhere in the room, though some folks are only there for coffee and respite. Every 45 minutes, just as volume and tempers seem to rise, Reverend Mary or Reverend Laura interrupt it all with the strike of a chime, a call for a moment of quiet reflection, and a simple, short Bible verse to inspire. On any given Wednesday, you will find Terry up there on the stage, behind a table, sorting beads. And you will find Alicia at the watercolor table making cards. Alicia and I joined this group shortly after we retired. We were both looking for something to do with our extra time that, came, that was now freed up. What we found was so much more than that. And we want to share with you how our volunteering at Common Art has both changed us and transformed our faith. Our stories are different, but the profound impact of volunteering is similar to both of us. From Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, siblings, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. After 30 years as an elementary school teacher, my retirement challenged me to mess with the borders and boxes I've worked my whole life to build. The ones that separated and defined the many identities roles and worlds in which I've lived. Chinese-American, Christian, daughter, partner, teacher, mother, caregiver, mentor, advocate, neighbor, friend. Boxes are neat and manageable. They create perpendicular borders that are clearly defined so that crossings can be made safely, efficiently, or not at all. Suddenly, unboxed, I felt lost and uncertain. What had once kept me productive, forever multitasking, and confident, now felt arbitrary, irrelevant, cumbersome, 
confining. It was time for me, as Paul exhorts in Romans 12, to no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, to see myself and others in a new light, a light shining from within rather than from outside. I longed for a new lens so that I might be able to see the path that God would have me travel going forward. My first visits to common art were as compelling as they were confusing. I'd walk by Newberry Street's pristine shop windows, boasting designer-clad mannequins, and cross the threshold of Emmanuel Church into a cacophony of unrelenting smells and vehement conversations. I'd find myself embraced by an unconditional, beloved welcome, every time. It was overwhelming, incongruous. What gift could I possibly bring to this space? Dee was agitated because someone stole his bag last night while he was sleeping in a doorway. H was sketching a breathtaking likeness of Marilyn Monroe with charcoal pencil. Anne could not understand the medical report. She clutched in her hand because it was written in English. And Jay kept trying to get me to look at an imaginary dollar bill on the floor. I didn't know what to do. Viewing the scene from my cardboard box lens, I could not imagine becoming a member of this complicated, struggling body so that each member belongs to all the others. Scanning the room, I spotted, my eyes spotted a bin of colored pencils, markers, crayons, strewn haphazardly together. They were broken, unsharpened, many without caps. Well, if there's one thing in my wheelhouse, it is the fierce ability to establish order in a box of colored pencils. And so armed with a pencil sharpener, I dug deep, deep in with a sense of holy purpose. <laughs> One Wednesday, not long after sovereignty reigned in Crayon Kingdom, thanks to me, an artist pulled up her chair beside the now-labeled, organized things. She slowly and methodically began digging, tossing heaping piles upon the table, mixing Pencils with markers, reds and yellows. I gently inquired what she was looking for, trying hard to ignore the mess she was creating. And without looking up, she said, I'm looking for a blue crayon. Here's one, I proudly offered, knowing exactly where the blue crayons live now. Her eyes shot fury and disappointment at me. I told you, she said, accusing me. I am looking for a blue crayon. Whoa. I, I was stunned. She had been thoroughly engaged and committed to looking for, not finding, not even hoping to find, and certainly not wanting to be given a blue crayon. She looked with intention, she noticed details, she mixed colors and mediums and textures and made a random, splendid, unruly mess. 
With this common artist's help right there that day, my faith journey took a new shape. A shape not held up or separated by boxes, but a shape that morphs and molds to embrace opposing realities. A common art I found light that shines from within each person in order that I may look, just look for God. In a beautiful hot mess of unyielding humanity amidst furious truth and blown-away talent, touched by gentle grace and all kinds of grit, face to face with palpable suffering and unresolvable sadness. And each time I look, I see myself in this messy, incongruous, true and proper worship. My faith journey started when I was a child attending Presbyterian Church with my family. I had a very good life. I had a loving middle-class family, and my health, and lots of opportunity. I was aware of how lucky I was, and my faith led me to believe that it was my duty to help people who had less. I became a lawyer primarily to help poor people. I worked to keep them from being evicted, got them on welfare, got their pensions, and got them health care. I was attracted to common art because I could help people who were clearly on the fringe of society. Now that I was retired, I wanted a lower level of commitment. I didn't want to be in, in charge, but I wanted to contribute. Common art seemed perfect. I quickly got asked to sit at the bead table and organize the beads for the artists. It seemed simple, but it was anything but. You might think that people who have very little are grateful for whatever you can give them, but that's not always the case. Many of them are angry at the unfairness of the hand they've been dealt. Many have mental health problems, substance abuse problems, and because they have no home, they're often the victim of crime. The artists at Common Health, the Commonwealth, Common Art, <laughs> were suspicious of me, and well, they should be. They didn't know my motivation, they didn't know my staying power, and they had no reason to invest in a relationship with me, with someone who might not come back next week. Honestly, I didn't know my motivation either. Why was I there? It gave me satisfaction that I was helping people, but was I really helping them? There was often chaos at the beating table with people boarding beads, pushing each other aside, and complaining endlessly about each other. I quickly tried to improve things. I suggested rules for how many beads someone could take. <laughs> um, I told them the beads were meant to be used in the church not to be taken home. I saw my job as making sure that these weren't being wasted. We were commonly, we were constantly in danger of running out of these. They're extremely expensive and common art can't afford them. For the more rules I set out, the worse they got. The artists are complaining to me about the beaters. Finally, I suggested to a woman who never made anything with the beads, but would pocket them, and often the prettiest and 
expensive ones. If she needed to make something, and then I would help her make something. She left the beating table and went to Reverend Mary to complain about me. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Mary came to speak to me, and that was my aha moment. Who was I to tell a woman who had so little that she couldn't have a pretty bee in her pocket? I totally reassessed what I was doing. And I decided to give up on my rules, which, by the way, were not working at all. <laughs> I was still very worried we'd run out of beads, and the beading table would be shut down. I was begging everyone I knew for donations of old jewelry and extra beads, but we were going to several trades every Wednesday. About that time, Reverend Mary read a scripture which essentially said, God will provide. Could I believe that God would actually provide enough beads? <clears throat> In my head, I started to sing the Beatles song. Let it be. Let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be. Did I really believe that? In my system of belief, God works through me to find a solution. Could I really let go of trying to find a solution? I decided to try. I gave up my rules. I started letting the beaters take as many beads as they wanted. I would only ask that they bring back whatever beads they didn't use. And I started suggesting beads that went together. And I asked them to come and show me what they made afterwards. I gave up on being the enforcer and just started being a friend. Slowly, my change in attitude started to change the atmosphere. Artists started sharing more with me, telling me what they wanted to do and showing me what they'd made. They stopped complaining about each other, sort of. <laughs> and most remarkably, some started, some who had been hoarding beads, started actually sharing beads with each other. I, come to, I came to understand that my rules was just more of someone in power telling somebody without power what they could and could not do. I wasn't making it a fairer place for them to create. I was making it a more restrictive place. And what about my concern about running out of beads? Well, we haven't yet. We still give donations, including from the United Parish Thrift Store, Thrifty Threads. And most importantly, I learned a lesson that sometimes you just have to have faith that God will work it out. I still struggle with that. Do I believe enough to let go? Now, I don't want you to think that everything is hunky-dory at Common Art. People still complain, I still worry, and people still pop the beads when they think I'm not working. <laughs> but now I think that if you really believe in God, you sometimes have to believe she will provide. We need to have faith in God and by that extension in each other. And particularly in the people we think we're helping. None of us are perfect. We can tap in to the divine in each of us and not shoulder the whole burden of creating order out of chaos and fairness out of injustice. 
Believe that God will provide. Let it be. Let it be. Please and make plans who call upon us to be fully present, to trust in God, to provide what we cannot, and to believe in a collective humanity that has the power to lift us all from despair. In a broken world, demanding of solutions and hungry for order, God calls upon us to hug the mess and to allow ourselves to be hugged by the mess, to tell our stories and to hold dear the stories told to us, to pull up a chair and look for God, not in order to find God, but so that we may learn to simply look. Because perhaps somewhere on our faithful paths, at the crossroads of our stories and a glistening bead tucked in an artist's coat pocket, a light can shine from within each